Well, if you've just joined us uh, over the last couple of weeks, we are looking at who we are as a church and what is the mission that God is calling us to. And so if it hasn't been drilled into your head already, uh, we believe that we are being called uh, to be a Christ-centered community of disciple-making disciples. And particularly for us here as Stromlo Christian Church to be a Christ-centered community of disciple-making disciples in the Malonglo Valley and beyond. And friends, we've looked at the importance of being Christ-centered in all that we do, really gospel-centered in that we see that the message of the gospel is to inform who we are and all that we do. Uh, that we want people to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the work of his spirit and the saving work of Jesus uh, in the gospel uh, in all of our church activities. When people come in our door on a Sunday morning, when they uh, encounter us as Stromlo Christian Church in whatever our ministries, that they encounter the Lord Jesus. And that was a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we looked at the fact that we uh, are drawn into a, a community of faith, uh, that whether we like it or not, we don't simply uh, function as individuals, but we are a family. And uh, we're called to function as an active family, that we are given gifts, uh, that God gives us gifts of the Spirit, uh, active gifts. Every single one of us is equipped not to simply sit on our hands, but to actively uh, share each other's lives, love each other sincerely, to, to be devoted to one another as a community a Christ-centred community. But not simply uh, to be a community, we are also called to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ as his followers. Uh, This is a call of um, uh, the individual Christian. We are uh, to be known as followers of Christ. Now, um, let me go back uh, a moment and say that I think we are uh, people who do testify of the Lord Jesus Christ in a lot of our activities and who we do, who we are. Or we are already doing a pretty good job at being Christ-focused, gospel-centered. The gospel of the Lord Jesus does come up in a lot of what we do. And I pray that in 10, 20, 50 years' time, that'll still be the case, uh, that we keep just raving about the wonder of the gospel uh, in all that we do. But it's easy for us to simply, as evangelicals who rave about the gospel, to forget about the fact that we actually are called to live in a particular way. So we we sit back and revel in grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. Uh, We enjoy the wonder of grace, uh, the the cruisy nature of grace, but forget that uh, there is actual hard and fast lifestyle response to grace. Uh, that we're called to live by, a discipleship. And that's, that's what we're going to look at, that there is a cost that needs to be counted as a result of living uh, as Christ-centred people. Now, some of that is found in being a community. Um, I, was, I was so encouraged by my, my last church where um, someone came up to me and they wanted to be baptised and I didn't realise um, exactly what had gone in their life. They started to share their story with me because uh, they had had no encounter with church previously at all in, in their life. Uh, they, we, lived, sorry, we had a church that was downtown in the middle of the city, a very public church uh, where many people would walk past and on a Sunday morning they simply walked in uh, off the street. Uh, downtown uh, Hong Kong and uh, they walked in and they wanted to see what Christians do 
and they came in and they started to get to know people. They came back, they had an a, uh, enjoyable experience that first Sunday, got to know some people um, and they, they discovered that people uh, welcomed, uh, welcomed them. She was a young girl, a young lady, and um, she uh, built a friendship and uh, came back again and again. And she came up to me and she said, I've put my trust in Jesus. And the reason I put my trust in Jesus is that I've experienced a welcome and acceptance that I've never experienced anywhere else. Uh, it's been like no other welcome. This, these people have accepted me have loved me, have cared for me uh, in a way that in no other place, in my workplace, in my family, uh, in, in any other environment, uh, have I been accepted. And I was so encouraged by that, that he was a community that was living in response to the gospel, had loved this person unconditionally, and now she wanted to be baptised and put her faith in the Lord Jesus. So uh, there was a responsive community uh, living in response to being Christ-centred in the gospel. But I think there's also an individual response. Now, this is a corporate response, and today we want to really look at this, this individual response uh, for us to be uh, disciples. And so we look at the first, we're going to look at this hard-hitting uh, action that is called in Luke chapter 9 for us to be people who really come and lay down our lives and uh, carry our cross as disciples of Jesus. But before we get to uh, this call that we saw in the memory verse uh, to, uh, to deny ourselves and take of our cross daily, I want us to flick back to Luke uh, chapter um, 6. No, Luke chapter 5, actually. So flick with me back to Luke chapter 5. Because the call to follow, uh, to be Jesus' disciple, is, is primarily in the context of the person that these disciples are going to follow. So, um, it might be very obvious, but um, following is all about the who that is being followed. So, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. I'll go through this, this fairly quickly and then we're going to actually look at, um, so we look at two brief stories. Firstly, Peter and the disciples, the fishermen. Uh, one day, this is verse 1 of chapter 5, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little, little from the shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water. And let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled filled the boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up, to, up on shore, 
left everything and followed him. Now much can be said about this story, but notice here that Simon Peter, in the response of catching this huge quantity of fish, he falls before Jesus and he acknowledges that in response to who Jesus is, he is a great sinner. He doesn't fall on his knees and say uh, simply, um, Jesus, this is awesome, I'm going to be really rich, uh, we're going to be wealthy, thanks, thanks buddy, I'm going to get, have all, I've got all these fish. No, he falls on his knees and he sees the, the wonder of who Jesus is and the sinfulness of himself, for I am a sinful man. And notice the tenderness of Jesus. Jesus says in the end of verse 10, Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He reaches out tenderly and he gives him this new mission, not to be a fisherman anymore of fish, but a fisherman of people. And what do they do? They pulled up their boats up up onto shore and they leave everything and they follow him. Their boats are laden with this fish. It probably, probably could have been um, wealthy for, set up their families for months, even years with this quantity of fish. But they leave it all behind. And who do they follow? They follow Jesus. They acknowledge that Jesus is the one in which they need to fall before as, uh, in their sinful state, asking for forgiveness. And he's the one they need to follow. Okay, keep that in your mind. Let's go to verse 27. And this is very short. I just want to reflect on this very, very briefly. Verse 27 of chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. And he was sitting at his tax booth. He says two words. He says to Levi, follow me. And Levi got up. What does he do? He left everything and he followed him. There's no insight into the relationship between Jesus and Levi. So Levi is actually the guy, Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. They're not saying that that Jesus had any prior relationship with him, that he was aware of him. Something happens here that Levi recognises Jesus is someone worth following. Jesus doesn't even say, "Hey, hey, Levi, I've got a really cool job for you. Um, We've got a mission. I mean, he gave... Simon and the disciples an idea of what they were going to do. They're going to be fishers of men. But he doesn't tell Matthew that. He doesn't tell Levi. He just says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow me for what cause. See, the focus here is on what? What do you think the focus here is on? The focus is on the who he's following. The focus is on Jesus. Levi sees that Jesus is someone worthy of following, doesn't he? And I have this, this vision, it doesn't tell me here, but I have this idea that he's got all his money laid out on his booth, right? Um, it's like the fish laid on the shore in the boats, but he's got the money laid there out on his booth and he's a greedy tax collector, but he's willing to just leave it all scattered there, leave it all behind, walk away and... I have this vision of the crowd sort of just coming and, and collecting up all the money that's left scattered there. It doesn't say he gathers up his money, he puts it away in a safe. No, he leaves it all behind, leaves everything, everything, and follows Jesus. Jesus is worthy of following. Okay, I wanted us just, just to, to picture that 
in the context of discipleship because it's very important, as Luke points out to us in uh, chapter 9, there is a contextual understanding of uh, this call to discipleship right at the beginning of the passage that we're looking at today. Now, we really could look at this all day, but um, I want us to grasp the importance of who it is that we're following, uh, that we're called to follow. Let's go back to chapter 9. And verse, uh, verse 18. So Jesus sets this up for the disciples. So you've got this back in your outline. Chapter 9 and verse 18. Jesus turns uh, to his disciples and he says, Who do the crowds say I am? And some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say a prophet of long, long ago. Jesus then says, Well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And what's Peter's response? This is, very, this is crucial here. Peter answers, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Peter has an understanding that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Okay, God's Messiah is here. And so Jesus then warns them, uh, well, don't tell anyone. For the Son of Man, this is verse 22, must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. They must be gobsmacked at this. (laughs) The Messiah is going to suffer, be killed and somehow be raised to life. And then he says these verses that we're focusing on now, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Just put your feet in the shoes or the moccasins or whatever of the, the disciples at this very moment. They've had this understanding that here is the Messiah. Wow, the one that we've longed for, the one that we want to follow, like Levi, uh, this guy worthy of following. And now he says, You must deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, this image really for us, as we've seen crosses all of our lives, this image here is one that is just very, very watered down, isn't it? But the image of a cross for a Jewish person who's been uh, invaded by the Romans, this, this, uh, this um, image of torture, this, um, this tool of uh, crucifixion, this horrid uh, tool of torture for the most uh, vile of criminals... He's being told that you must pick this up each day and and take it to your death. This is scandalous to be able to say this. Their minds must just be doing backflips. What? To be your disciple? To be the Messiah's disciple? You must die to yourself? Friends, I want us to just park at this point for a moment because this is the call for us, isn't it? To be people who daily die to ourselves. See, friends, again, we are called to salvation by grace. We are saved freely, but it costs so much. We're in danger of cheapening grace if we don't realise the cost of daily dying to ourselves. 
I quoted in the, in the weekly little video this week that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has that quote that if a man is called, if Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die. That's the call of us as Christians, to come and die. And yet the world, what does the world say? Well, the world says, don't come and deny yourself. But the world says, actually, uh, indulge in yourself. Celebrate yourself. The world's idea of uh, looking at yourself is explore yourself and what is in your heart, your passions, uh, your, your lust, your desires, uh, your true inner self, then, then what's inside then bring it to the fore, celebrate it, indulge it. Let the world know what the true inner self is. Don't deny it. Revel in it. It's very, it's very contradictory, isn't it, to what the world's saying about ourselves. And yet, Christ's saying that we are to daily die to ourselves. Now, is it saying that we are to live the monastic life? Uh, next week, uh, you might walk in here in brown, monk-like outfits um, and you've only been eating um, some sort of vegetable like kale all week and drinking water. I don't know. Is that what it's calling? Is that denial? I don't think it is because we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Um, there is uh, the enjoying the good gifts that God's given us. But the dying to self is, is one of uh, not living for the selfish desires of, uh, that, that, that are just drawing me uh, into um, selfish indulgence uh, all the time. Uh, there, is, there is, of course, um, uh, every single one of us that must do this because notice here it says, whoever wants to be my disciple. It's not just um, those who are bad people or, or whatever. Um, it's every single one of us, no matter what our sexual orientation is, no matter what our, our stage in life is, every single one of us is to die to ourselves. Let me give you um, this, this illustration. I hope it's a helpful illustration and, and not an unhelpful one. Um, a man came to me uh, in Hong Kong and um, he, he was, he was ex- expressing to me that um, he... Uh, he had this um, relationship with his mistress. Um, he's a married man. He'd been married a long time and um, he's been having an affair and he was uh, sharing with me that he was so in love with this woman that it must be right for him to have, be having this ongoing affair. And he was wanting, he was pleading with me and gen- now, I don't want to make light of this. He was in, in tears in my office saying to me, Dan, I love, love this woman. God has brought this woman into my life. It must be right. My heart just beats for this woman. Now, um, his, 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 um, his passions were for this woman, and yet he was a married man in a committed relationship with, with his wife. Now, for me, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, as a Christian? He's a Christian, it's a no-brainer. You are, you are committed to this woman that you've made your marriage vows to. Okay? You, can't, you can't be having an active affair with this woman. But he's wanting me as a pastor to justify uh, this adulterous relationship. But the world is saying to him, if you feel this way, then it's right. Then live this way. Now, there's all sorts of contexts like this that we, not just in, in, in our sexuality, that we want to justify this type of behaviour, isn't there? And yet the world calls, the Bible calls us to deny ourselves. 
Um, let, let me um, let me maybe share a little bit more more personally in in um, some of my um, my struggles, maybe even just this week, um, struggling with uh, my own personal uh, struggles with depression and feeling really quite low in a couple of instances this week. My um, my my self indulgence could be to turn to um, to things that would make me escape from feeling really low and that could have been that could have been um, taking a high level of painkillers it could have been alcohol it could have been um, other escapes and that that is um, that could have been a way for me to to uh, move in that direction but you know what um, that that is not uh, where um, that might be where my my um, my desire is going but the Bible tells me to deny my selfishness in that and to take up my cross, to, to, to die to that uh, and to turn to the wonderful Saviour who is the Lord Jesus. You see, he is the one who offers the real hope. Um, the world tells us that why would we want to turn to someone who, who calls us to deny our true true selves but the bible tells us that our true selves are corrupt is corrupted our hearts are corrupted our our desires like that man that i was counseling um is twisted by sin isn't it like we can't trust our hearts i can't trust my heart to to my if my heart is longing for me to go and um to find some escape that is unrelated to things of god it's, it's twisted, isn't it? Does that, does that make sense? Um, I need Jesus. What I need to do is turn to my beautiful Saviour, who's the Lord Jesus. It's counterintuitive to say to, to die, die to yourself, but the Bible in verse 24 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake, uh, loses their life, will save it. Friends, the very best way to live, the very best way to live is to live in a way that denies ourself. I'll give you another example. Um, I had an opportunity... Um, recently, where, and it's a bit, I won't tell you the details, it was a very silly opportunity, but um, there was a choice that no one really knew about where I had, um, it, was, it was sort of like the, the bigger piece of chocolate cake example. Um, and no one really knew I could choose in the bigger piece of chocolate cake. And um, uh, I, I, I could have taken that piece, bigger piece of chocolate cake or, or, um, or left it for somebody else. And I thought, um, I'm just going to, initially I thought I'm just going to take that bigger piece of chocolate cake. And, uh, and, and, I, and it, was, it was quite agonising. But then I thought, okay, I'm actually going to deny myself that and leave it for the other person. And uh, it was, it was um, a bit of a tug of war at first. But, uh, and I didn't really want to deny myself that. Um, I thought, it's going to be so good if I take that bigger piece of chocolate cake. Um, it's going to be great. But, but then I, then I thought, oh, okay, I better do it. And it felt like this, this example here of just painful dying to myself. I don't really want to do it. I'm going to have to do it. And I did it. But then I saw 
the person respond, because um, they got the bigger piece of chocolate cake, they were so happy. They, and, and actually, I felt really good. And then I weighed up the response and I thought, my self-indulgence of enjoying the indulgence of that and their response, it actually, I reckon it actually probably felt better. And it's a bit of a trivial example, but guys, God's way, the life that Christ calls us to is actually, it's, it's much, much better. Christ says that I have come to bring life and life to the full. And the reason I just want to point this out is because we can think that denial of self is this life of monasticism or or ascetic lifestyle of deprival where we're going to miss out. But Jesus is a beautiful saviour. We're not going to miss out. It's the best way to live following him, isn't it? I, I shouldn't need to convince you of that. But friends, if there's some of you here that don't yet know Jesus... Man, he's awesome. He really is. I just, I can't, I can't encourage you more than to, than to turn to him, follow him. I mean, he does call us to come and die, and and some of that life is, is one a road of suffering and hardship. I mean, he does go to the cross. He, he does. It says here that he's going to suffer many things and be rejected. And, and friends, some of you have helpfully shared on Facebook this week some of your responses about, about counting the cost. And, and even we saw in that video that there is some really hard things about being a Christian. But there's some really joyful things as well. Let me read um, a, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, and I really recommend this book. It's a bit of an older book, but if you can get your hands on it, it's, it's terrific. He says this about discipleship and the joy of discipleship. He says, If we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him. That's, that's Jesus. For only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy, for discipleship means joy. I'll read that again. For we do know that it will mean a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. And Bonhoeffer reminds us here that if you come to Jesus, Jesus says these words. This is the one who calls us to follow him. These these are wonderful words. He says, Come to me, ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. This is what our beautiful Saviour offers us. Yes, we are called to come and die, to deny ourselves. But friends, the one who offers this is a wonderful Messiah whose burden is glorious. Yes, we are called to live lives that are righteous, lives that don't just indulge our sinful nature, lives that are disciplined and godly but lives that live uh, 
in wonderful relationship to our wonderful Saviour, who is the Lord Jesus. Friends, some people say that, they make this comment that I've got my cross to bear. Uh, Some people might say, for instance, um, Dan, with your struggle with depression and and chronic pain, um, and and I might have this for the rest of my life, and that's just your cross to bear, Dan. But I think that's a misinterpretation of the Scriptures. My cross to bear isn't that. My cross to bear is... The call to be a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus, to deny my self-focused selfishness that, that just wants to live for Dan. I'll finish just with this, this example. Um, a couple of days ago, I walked out of Coolman Court and, and I, was, I was just not having a good day and um, I could barely lift my eyes up from the ground. I was just... I felt my feet felt like they were big blocks of concrete dragging along the ground and my instinct was just, I just wanted to curl up in the fetal position under a blanket for a whole decade. You know, I just didn't want to, to, to talk to anybody or relate to anybody. And there came, um, hurtling out of nowhere was a, 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 a granny with a trolley that was out of control and um, she nearly knocked me over. And I still was so self-indulgent. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to make light of de- depression, okay? Because this is just me struggling at this, at this time. But um, I, was, I just didn't even want to help her. Um, and she was, her trolley was out of control. But then I, I woke myself up from that and I asked her if, she, if I could help her. And I helped her um, get her trolley to the car. And with almost tears in her eyes, she was so grateful uh, that I helped her. Friends, I think my cross to bear in that instance was the struggle to force myself to deny being selfish at that moment. That person, she needed me, my help. She needed me to help her. Um, my suffering then wasn't my cross to bear, but to be selfless, to be Christ-like in that example. Friends, Christ calls us to be his faithful disciples. I hope that Stromalo Christian Church is not just full of people who are on the outside looking like things are together, but that we are willing to suffer together, we're willing to point each other to Jesus, we're willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. How about I pray?